Walters is the spot to be in Navy Yard as the NFL season kicks off this Thursday night. Kansas City hosts Detroit kickoff at 820. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 3-1 delivery. Swinging a ground ball toward the middle. It's past the diving Mauricio. Base hit right center field. Vargas will score the tying run and Young scoots to third. C.J. Abrams delivers a game-tying RBI single here in the seventh. Young at third, the lead run. Abrams at first. There goes C.J. The pitch is low. No throw. Stolen base number 40 for C.J. Abrams. Joins the Trey Turner, Alfonso Soriano club. Here's the kick in the pitch. Swing the ground ball, chopped toward the middle, on through into center field. It's a walk-off game-winning single for the rookie Jacob Young. And a curly W's in the books. The Nationals out to first to mob Jacob Young. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, September 7th. 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Thursday is the Nats' last scheduled off day until September 25th, but the Nats at least have gone into this off day with a win. Yes, the six-game losing streak is over. A 3-2 walk-off win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Wednesday night for a split of a two-game series and four-and-end to the six-game losing streak. The Nats on Wednesday night overcame a 2-0 seventh-inning deficit. They now are 63-77. and So what many had expected for the Nats in this regular season, at least 100 losses, that will not be happening. The Nats have clinched not having 100 losses in this regular season. We do have more Nats front office intrigue to get into. We'll do that later in the show. But Mark, you know, you look at this, the Nats have 22 games left. 12 of the 22 games are against three of the best teams in the majors in the Dodgers, Braves, and Orioles. Who knows what's going to happen these next three weeks. But at least right now, it is nice to have a win to discuss. And if ever a bottom team needed a win in September, this would have seemed to have been the case. The Nats seemingly needed this win on Wednesday night. I agree. And I think they didn't just need it. I think they needed one kind of like the way they won this one. Sure, it'd be nice to be out in front all the way through it and just hold on to a lead. But in a way, this was more fitting. This is the way they won a lot of games during that nice six-week stretch for them earlier in the summer. Your starter keeps you in the game, keeps it close enough. The lineup doesn't do much most of the night, but then comes through late 
when they needed to. And then the back end of the bullpen is locked down at the end. And so I thought that was actually a nice path to victory and one that had been familiar, but really had been completely foreign to them here in the last week or so to win a game in that fashion. It's funny seeing them win all those games in this way. Then you have the losing, and now they get back to winning a game that way. I think we do now especially look at the way differently. Now, in the moment, I think we recognize that the way is not a sustainable way. But I think even more so now, you see this for what it is, which is nice, and you give the team credit for it. But it's not a formula for anything lasting. And, you know, scoring three runs banking on, you know, scoring in the latter innings, getting a walk-off hit. You know, this was another game in which they had a bunch of singles. It was nine hits, a double at eight singles. Like, it's not a formula for anything sustainable. The team knows this. The team knows that more home runs need to be hit. There is more offensive potency that needs to be obtained, and hopefully we're in the process of getting that with who is playing in the minors. But, you know, you look at the Nats, they, during their six-game losing streak, totaled just 20 runs. The offense on Wednesday night was looking like it was going to be yet another, you know, lackluster, ho-hum effort here. The Nats for the game, three runs, nine hits, two walks, three for seven with runners in scoring position. But they did rally. And this is something that they have had a penchant for doing. Why exactly is not crystal clear, but the team does deserve credit for this. The Nats on Wednesday night, two runs, bottom of the seventh, a run in the bottom of the ninth. And the hero ended up being the guy who was by far the biggest bright spot for the Nats, offensively speaking, on Tuesday night, Jacob Young. He on Wednesday night as the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter, two for four with a walk-off RBI single and a double. Did commit a fielding error, but Jacob Young in an Nats one-run ninth, a walk-off one-out RBI single on a grounder up the middle on an 0-2 pitch for a 3-2 Nats win. He in the bottom of the fifth had the double, a two-out first pitch opposite field, ground rule double off the right field warning track. And Young in that 11-5 Nats lost to the Mets on Tuesday night as the Nats leadoff batter in that game, two for four with a double, an RBI single, and a walk. A nice two-game series for Jacob Young. He's done a nice job really since he came up. It's an eight-game hitting streak. And I know it's only 10 hits in those eight games, but he has shown this ability to do some things. Certainly the ability once he gets the bat on the ball to use his legs to his advantage and cause havoc out there. That's been nice to see. And I don't know, I kind of felt like when that situation arose in the ninth and it's second and third one out, I kind of liked the fact that he was coming up to bat. I mean, they had a far more experienced hitter in Ildemaro Vargas put down the sack bunt to get the runners to second and third and trust the rookie who's only been here for two weeks and who started the year at single A. They trusted him to come through with a good at bat in that situation. And it's exactly what he did. He's down 0-2, but he still found a way to make contact and find the hole up the middle. So I thought that was actually pretty nice. And I think what we've seen from him has been pretty encouraging so far. I don't know what it means in the bigger picture, but I do like the way he plays the game. And, and maybe there is a chance that that style of play that he has can be sustainable and something they can use in some capacity moving forward. Yeah, and making Davey Martinez having Ildemar Vargas uh, be the sacrificer even you know more of a standout occurrence is that Vargas earlier in the game had a big hit. He in that Nats two-run seventh had a pinch, one-out first pitch, RBI single to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1. And yet still, Davey had Vargas sacrifice in that spot. And Jacob Young came through. It's a small sample size. You got to say that. But Jacob Young, 39 plate appearances for the Nats since being brought up from AAA Rochester on base percentage of 368. Now, 
I mentioned Jacob Young being the Nats' number one batter on Tuesday night. He then was back to being the number nine batter on Wednesday night. This was because C.J. Abrams was back on Wednesday night, was back off not playing on Tuesday night due to rest. And Abrams on Wednesday night as the Nats' starting shortstop and number one batter, one for three with an RBI single and a walk and two for two on stolen bases. He and the Nats two-run seventh, had a two-out RBI single up the middle to tie the game at two, and then had a steal of second base. Had Abrams in the bottom of the third, drew a two-out walk, and had a steal of second base. There are really three things that stand out to me with Abrams in this game. So the RBI single was very nice. Give him credit for that. The walk stood out big time. Do you know that was Abrams' fourth walk since the end of July. He has not been drawing walks at all. He has drawn a few lately, so maybe he's getting back on track with that. But the two for two on stolen bases, he gets to 40 stolen bases on the season. A terrific milestone number. 40 for 43 is C.J. Abrams on stolen bases this season. Yeah, a couple points about that. Number one, he's really excited to get to the 40 mark. He wants to keep going from there. Let's remember that 29 of them have come since he took over the leadoff role on July 7th. So that's 29 steals, which is most in the majors, over a two-month period. That's a lot. That's really impressive for him to do that. Number two, I asked him about the walk because he had said and kind of laughingly said, yeah, I want to keep getting more, but I got to get on base to do that, including drawing walks. And he knew that he had not been doing that very much lately. It has been a point of emphasis for him. He understands that it's something he needs to be better at if he is going to be an effective leadoff hitter. And you saw that patience from him in this game to do that. And I I do love the fact that he wants to get on first base, but he wants to do that so that he can then get to second. Like that's his mindset. Get on first so I can steal second. Almost every opportunity he has to do it, he is doing it. And that's been a, a real weapon for them. And I think the sky's the limit for him as far as this goes. If he can just get on base at a decent rate, he is going to steal a ton of bases. He's only the third national to get to 40 in a season. Trey Turner did it twice. Alfonso Soriano did it once. And like I said, 29 of them in a two-month span. If he did that over a full season, we're talking easily a club record and really way up there among the league leaders, if not tops in the league. It's so interesting when you look at baseball history in terms of the stolen base because there's been such a volatility over the years in terms of what is realistic in terms of a season-long stolen base total. Like It wasn't that long ago that 100 stolen bases in a season was achievable, and you saw guys do that. Not a lot, but guys did do that. The last you know, 10, 15 years, it's become like an afterthought, the stolen base. And you know, if you have 25 or 30, that's considered a lot now. Now with the bigger bases and this extremely high stolen base success rate that we're seeing across the majors, it does kind of make you wonder, like, could we go back to the way things were, say, in the 80s when the likes of Vince Coleman and Ricky Henderson, you know, could threaten 100 stolen bases in a season, if not get to 100 steals? I'm not saying Abrams could do that. But, you know, if he has had this many stolen bases in this condensed period of a time, Who's to say that he, over a 162-game season in which he's playing as he's capable of playing, couldn't have, say, I don't know, 70 or 80 stolen bases? Yeah, no, I mean, do the math. 29 in two months, that's a third of the season. That's essentially a 90 stolen base rate. Now, you have to do that over a whole year. You got to stay healthy. You got to get on base enough, and you got to be successful at it. So that's a very different thing to do it for six months versus two. But like I said, the sky's the limit. He has this ability. It's just a matter of him getting on and being smart about it, knowing when to run, reading pitchers well. But I, I think 
everything else that he's done for them, there've been a lot of good things from him as a hitter, as a defensive player. He had another great defensive play in this game. I think his, it's not just that he steals bases, but his rate has been outstanding. He's been a good base stealer, a smart base stealer. I think that's just a significant development for him, especially with the style of game that's being played now and should continue moving forward. I think that is a huge weapon for him and can help elevate him into another category of player that there just aren't that many of who can do. Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck on an underperforming franchise? Do what Nationals legend Max Scherzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right? And uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastures and a lot more money at another law firm for you and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalfas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. He will confidentially discuss your candidacy with law firms that are contenders, not 60 win teams. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at legal.com. That's 202-486-3535 or via email at mason at zenithlegal.com. Go Nats! Uh, The Nats will be contenders very soon and you can be a contender even sooner. The Game Time app is loaded this week with tons of local ticketing options, Nats, Commanders, DC United, Mystics, and a slew of concerts. If you want to get out of the house this weekend for one of these events, make sure to check the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And listeners, download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is offering a great deal for listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast 50% off. September has arrived. Uh, That means even more of a focus on the Nats promising young players, but that also means that your busy life now is even busier. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Uh, Too busy this fall to cook, but you want to make sure that you're eating well? Well, with Factor, uh, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Go to Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 for 50% off. One more time, Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. 
Vargas from the left side. Got ready, and he fires. Swing a line drive right field. That is going to get down for a base hit. One up in front of Ortega. Coming in to score is Smith. Alou will hold it second. Pinch hit. RBI single, Ildemaro Vargas. And the Nationals are on the board. They trail the Mets 2-1 here in the seventh. Also props to a former Met for what he did on Wednesday night, Dominic Smith. He is an at starting first baseman and number five batter, three for four with three singles, including in the Nats, two-run seventh, having a leadoff single to right field. We did not see Lane Thomas in this game, so he ended up not playing in this series due to back tightness, but it sounds like the back isn't that severe of a situation. Is that correct? Yeah, so he told me the MRI showed just inflammation, nothing more serious than that, but he did get an injection, and they told him you got to take 48 hours off once you get that. So obviously he wasn't going to play in this game. The team is off Thursday. He's hoping he can be back Friday against the Dodgers, but admitted it might have to be Saturday, depending on how he feels for that. They don't want to take any chances at this stage of the season to let that be something worse that would plague him into the offseason. But he sounded pretty confident that it's not anything serious and that he was generally encouraged by what the news was. And they do need him back because they suffered an injury in this game. We'll wait and see for sure what happened with Riley Adams. But he pinch hit late in the game, fouled off a ball, and started shaking his left hand. They came out and looked at him, took one practice swing, and pulled him off the field. Got an x-ray at the ballpark. Davey Martinez said that was inconclusive, was his word. And he's going to get an MRI on Thursday. And I've covered this long enough, and I've seen enough of these things to, you know, the very first thought in my mind when you see that, didn't get hit by a pitch, a swing that didn't feel right. Shaking your wrist, that sounds like a classic hamate bone injury to me. We've seen it over the years. It happens. It's very common. It's a repetitive stress injury on your bottom wrist that rubs up against the knob of the bat. And it would be really unfortunate if that's what it is. It would knock him out for the season. Wouldn't affect him for next year, though. We've talked about Robert Hassel, how there is sometimes a carryover and the lack of power. Let's see. I don't want to jump to any conclusions here. But it would not shock me if that's what we're talking about here with Riley Adams. Yeah, we have seen with these handmade bone injuries, you suffer one in season, you're out for months. Like it's not something that heals quickly. So it would be a shame if that's how Riley Adams' season ends because he has had overall a really nice season. So hopefully that is not the case with him, but we shall see. So the Nats starting pitching during their six game losing streak was a real problem. Nat starters during the six-game losing streak combined to allow 34 runs in 27 innings. The starting pitching way too often during the losing streak just did not give the Nats a chance in games. Well, the Nats starting pitching on Wednesday night was uh, decent, if not good, and wouldn't you know it, the losing streak came to an end. Joanna Doan, he, in this latest go-round at the major league level, has either been really good or really bad. And I don't know if you say that he was really good on Wednesday night, but he was pretty good. And, uh, you know, considering the way that Nat's starting pitching had been going lately, this was a welcome performance by Yoan Adone. So he and this 3-2 walk-off win over the Mets, two runs in five innings with six strikeouts. Now, he gave up six hits, two doubles, and four singles. He issued three walks, although two of them were intentional walks of Pete Alonso. Uh, he also, Adone did, issued a wild pitch. And he only threw 45 strikes out of 80 pitches, 45 strikes versus 35 balls. So, you know, you can't sit here and say he was great and he only lasted for the five innings. But again, two runs in five innings, six strikeouts compared to what the Nats had been getting from their starting pitching lately. Not bad. And, you know, I mentioned the up and down nature of Adone. So he in this latest go round at the major league level has made six starts now. 
He in three of the starts has been very good, including twice teasing throwing a no-hitter. Five runs in 17 innings over those three starts. He in the other three starts has allowed 13 runs in 12 innings. Seemingly has been all or nothing with Yoan Adone. And uh, he did, I think all things considered, a pretty good job for the Nats in this game on Wednesday night. I agree. And I think the most encouraging part of it was that it could have turned into one of those blow-up starts. Two batters in, he's down one nothing. He ends up putting a couple other guys on base in the first inning, but got out of it with just the one run, settled in, made some big pitches, gave one more run later on before he was pulled, but did a nice job of limiting damage. And he said that once he got into trouble and things didn't start off the way that he wanted to, he still knew that he had a good game plan in his mind and he stuck to it. He didn't try to change too much at that point and it worked for him. I thought it was really fascinating the way they approached Pete Alonso. It was three walks, two of them intentional. And the first time it worked, the second time it didn't, they wound up giving up the run. But it seemed to be a really concerted effort on their part to say, we're not letting this guy beat us with the long ball tonight. We're going to make the other guys behind him beat us. And I think for the most part that worked and credit to Adone for sticking with that and for the most part making it work. Yeah, Alonso, I feel like, is the new Freddie Freeman. I mean, he has tortured the Nats these last few years. I think it's funny with Adone because, you know, he had a lot of bad starts last year. He has had these bad starts in this latest stint at the major league level. And when he has those starts, you do say to yourself, like, it's just not going to happen with this guy. But with these good outings that he has had over these last few weeks, it does offer hope. And, you know, with something like what he did on Wednesday night, because we know that him threatening to throw no hitters is not going to be the way that he is. But two runs in five innings, like if he could consistently be in that neighborhood, these days, there's nothing wrong with that. And if he could be along those lines, he could be a viable starting pitcher for the Nats moving forward. So I do like that he is at least giving you some reason to think that there is reason to want to see more from him moving forward here. It really did not go well for him as a starter for the Nats at the major league level last season. I don't know that you say it's going well now, but it's going better than it was. And you are seeing some good outings from him. That's for sure. He does just enough to make you say, okay, I think there could be something there if he can refine it all. And that's a big ask. And maybe he's never going to fully realize that. But for where they are as an organization, as far as developing homegrown pitchers, there aren't nearly enough other ones to make you say, oh, I'm not even going to give this guy a chance. I think he has done enough to make you say, let's see more and maybe we can get him to take that next step and now be a little more consistent and have not dominant outings all the time. But like you said, an outing like this, this is really one of the first times we've seen something like this from him where he doesn't necessarily have it all going, but he is still able to be effective. And I think that's important. We talk about it so much with Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, other young starters. You're not going to have your best stuff every night. You're not going to have your command every single night. It's what you're able to do on the nights that you don't have it and still salvage it and make it a competitive game that I think establishes you as a full-time big league starter. And in this case, I thought that was an important step for him. It's it's one game against a Mets team that is you know playing out the string themselves, but might as well do it when you have the opportunity. And, and, you know, I've seen enough to say, all right, I want to see some more. And maybe by the end of the month, we'll have a clearer idea of who he is. 
Nats bullpen in this 3-2 walk-off win over the Mets on Wednesday night was good. Four Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings. Robert Garcia won and a third scoreless innings. Mason Thompson faced two batters, got two outs. A zero-drama performance from Mason Thompson. He in the top of the seventh induced ground outs by the Mets. Numbers four and five batters, Pete Alonso and Brett Beatty. Hunter Harvey, a scoreless top of the eighth. And Kyle Finnegan, a scoreless top of the ninth. Nice job by all four guys in this game. And, you know, you need that. We know Harvey and Finnegan have got it done in the eighth and the ninth for the better part. You need the sixth and the seventh, too. So to see Mason Thompson come in and he did face Alonzo and pitch to him. I was a little nervous about that matchup, bringing in Thompson to face the mighty Pete Alonzo. Props to him. He got through it and did a good job. They need that bridge from your starter to your back end guys if they are going to win games. They haven't always gotten that here lately. So that was nice to see all four of them put up zeros. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi here to tell you about another great deal being offered right now by Window Nation to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is offering you even more. When it comes to new windows, Window Nation always gives you more, but now Window Nation is giving you even more, more. Uh, the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus a lot more. Pay nothing for two full years. Another amazing deal on the great windows that Window Nation can provide to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Save up to 50% with the purchase of a house of windows. You know, even given what has been happening with interest and mortgage rates, Window Nation still is keeping 0% interest for two years. Upgrade the look and value of your home. Save big money on your energy bills with great Window Nation windows. You know, Window Nation has installed nearly 2 million windows with a 96% perfection rating, uh, making Window Nation one of the top window companies in the country. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the great deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off Plus, you pay nothing for two full years. If you have been thinking about getting new windows, this is the deal on which to capitalize. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi from the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played Wednesday evening in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Tough night at the plate for Dylan Cruz, 0 for 5 as the leadoff hitter. Again, he was in right field with James Wood in center. The Senators lost 5 to 4 to the curve. Cruz OPS now at 5.25 since joining AA a few weeks ago. Now back to Mark and Al. You know, I'm never worried about my uh, my contract situation. I grind it out every day. I come to work every day. I've got I've got assignments and and things I have to uh, accomplish every day. And uh, and we're doing our business as usual. And uh, just want to uh, grind this thing out and get it through uh, this rebuild and uh, and put a championship caliber club on the field again. All right. Meantime, we have even more intrigue with this Mike Rizzo situation with the Nats. 
So it was on Monday, August 21st, that we had the reports that the Nats and their president of baseball operations and general manager, Mike Rizzo, were close to finalizing a contract extension. Here we are now, two and a half weeks later, still no official announcement of an extension from Rizzo, who was on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan on Wednesday morning and did express a desire, very much so, to remain with the Nats. So, you know, he said all the right things in that interview, but of course, what you say and what you do can be two different things. So, as we are awaiting this extension for Rizzo, we this past Saturday morning, September 2nd, learned that the Nats' longtime international scouting director, Johnny DePuglia, had resigned. Rizzo, by the way, on the junkies on Wednesday morning, called that a mutual resignation. Uh, so <laughs> I think when you hear that, you say, uh, you know, DePuglia was voluntold to resign. But DePuglia had been with the Nats since October 2009. Now we have this multiple reports on Wednesday evening of the Nats having made significant cuts to their scouting department, including six members of the team's pro scouting department. There also have been cuts made to the team's amateur and international scouting departments. There's a lot happening here. And it's not crystal clear right now what's going on. One of the people who reported on this, the Athletics' top MLB insider, Ken Rosenthal, he in a tweet on Wednesday evening did write, quote, Rizzo still has not agreed to an extension, end quote. We don't know if what's happening here is there's, you know, a give and take going on between Mike Rizzo and the learners and Mike is staying and there is just sort of a figuring out right now of what the front office is going to look like moving forward. You know, we don't know if all these people leaving is a sign that Mike Rizzo is going to be leaving too, but you obviously are very familiar with this situation. What do you make of this news that came out on Wednesday evening? Well, I think when we talked about this the other day with Johnny DePuglia's departure, and I I said I would not be surprised if there are more to come in the front office, and here is another wave of them, and there could still be more beyond this. It reads to me as an educated guess here, that ownership has said to Rizzo, we want you back, but we would like to make some changes. We'd like you to make some changes to your staffing. You've had a lot of these people in the same positions for quite a while on the scouting side. And look, we know what the track record has been in amateur scouting, in international scouting. The pro scouting is a little tougher to evaluate. You know, that has more to do, I guess, with trades and potential trade targets and even you know, advanced scouting of of future opponents, things like that. But it reads to me like the first steps of the organization saying, yeah, you're coming back, but we're going to have you make some changes. It's not just going to be status quo with everybody that you've had working for you for all these years. I also wonder, it's a separate subject, and we'll, we'll get to that eventually, but I wonder if a similar situation could happen with Davey Martinez, and there may be some pressure on him to make changes to his major league coaching staff as well. And he doesn't necessarily just have the authority to keep all the guys that he's had here the last few years. So, you know, a lot we don't really know yet. And maybe it is an indication that Rizzo is not 100% secure in coming back and that this ends up with him departing. I still feel like they are negotiating. So I don't, I don't think there's like called it off or anything like that. And he's already decided that he's leaving. We've discussed if you're Mike Rizzo, what is the alternative to this that is better? And if you're the Lerner family, what's the alternative to Mike Rizzo that's better at this point? So I think it makes too much sense on both sides of that equation 
for them to continue the relationship and for him to return. But I'm not necessarily surprised that the conditions for that may involve changes to his staff. This situation is, is so odd, I think, for so many reasons, in part because, like, oh, by the way, the team is for sale, right? So, like, there's still that sort of hovering over everything. But just think about this logically. So, let's say that what's happening here is, in fact, a manifestation of the learners being dissatisfied with the Nat scouting. And as we have talked about, ownership would have good reason to be dissatisfied with the Nat scouting and what has come from the Nats drafting and player development in recent years. But you think about it like this. If you are ownership and you're not happy with the scouting, you're not happy with the drafting and the player development, what are you doing retaining the man in charge of the scouting, in charge of the drafting and the player development? Like, put aside whether Mike Rizzo should be retained or not. If this is how you feel as ownership, that you don't like the job that this guy's department has done, you don't like these people to whom this guy has been so loyal for years, and you're making this guy get rid of these people, and you're going to make him hire other people when maybe he doesn't want to, then why are you keeping the guy? Why don't you just get rid of him, clean house, and bring in someone new, and have that person bring in people who you like? Like That to me is odd. If you don't think enough of the job that Rizzo's department has done to allow Mike to have the people he wants running things, then why are you keeping Mike? That would be my question. It's a fair question. Absolutely. I would counter it with this though. How often do we see, not just in baseball, but in all sports where a head coach or a manager is retained, but they make him fire the pitching coach, the hitting coach, the offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, make moves to his staff beneath him as sort of a, we're not ready to pin it all on the guy in charge, but it's sort of that last move you can make outside of that is to make changes to the assistants on the staff. And I wonder if this kind of fits along those lines. You know, I also think the bigger picture, and we've discussed this as well, if they felt like they wanted to make a change at GM, I think the time to do it was a year or two ago before the rebuild was really in full swing. Once you gave him the authority and, and maybe even gave him the, the green light and pushed him to sell Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, and start this whole thing over, don't you have to give him a few years to see if he can see that thing through? I think this would be a very odd time, to be honest, to make a change in the GM position, no matter what you think of the job that he's done. So I could see wanting to retain him for another couple of years, see how this wave of prospects that he has acquired in those trades and that who they've drafted in the last couple of years, see how that pans out, but also say, we're not just going to keep everything status quo. We do want you to make changes below you. And it's almost like a little bit of a fire warning shot across the bow. Like, okay, we want you back, but we're doing these other moves now. And if this doesn't work out in the end, you're next. You know, it's kind of like a last move to make before they ultimately would make the big move with the guy in charge. Yeah, you can do that, and teams do do that, but I feel like what happens nine times out of ten is that you do end up firing the guy because it's like when you have to play these games of we'll keep you, but under these conditions, you end up getting rid of the guy because you don't believe in that guy anymore. It's kind of like in sports when an athlete says he's thinking about retiring. When a guy says that, he needs to just retire because if it's in your mind, then like you're halfway out already. 
And if you as an organization already are thinking about firing the single most important person in your baseball ops department, but you're trying to keep them in this sort of wishy-washy way. And again, we don't know that that's what's happening here. We're just speculating because there's a lot here that we don't know. But if that's what's happening, I wonder, I'm like, well, why are you keeping him anyway? You know. But again, going back to the sale, maybe part of it is the learners don't think they can do better than Mike Rizzo right now. Because if you are a bright, young, up-and-coming executive at MLB, why would you go work for a team that is trying to be sold? Like, what sense would that make? So, like, that's part of this here. And, and that might be what this is. This is just sort of an inconvenient marriage that's continuing because neither side sort of has a better option. And, you know, that's not what's good for the team. That's not what's good for the fan base. But that may be the reality here, too, that the learners and Mike Rizzo sort of need each other in an odd way. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think they do kind of need each other. It's kind of a, a marriage that they understand sort of has to continue because the alternative breakup does not make a whole lot of sense for either side right now. Now, as far as, you know, what this all means as far as selling the team and maybe the uncertainty of that plays a role in it all. I get that. And, you know, we have so little to go off of to really know what's happening there. I will just say I continue to get indications and signs that I'm reading that suggest not that they are keeping the team in the long run, but there's no evidence that they are anywhere close to selling the Nationals. And I've even had reason to believe and been told that Mark Lerner is very much interested and engrossed right now with what's happening at Double A, with Dylan Cruz, James Wood, Brady House, those kind of guys that like he understands how important they are to the future of the organization and is following them as closely as he's following what's happening at the big league level, which says to me he believes he's still going to be in charge when those guys get here and are part of the next wave for this team. That's fine. And, you know, far be it from me to tell Mark Lerner how to do anything. But uh, I think some sort of public statement of where you stand as owner would be nice. I think it would be nice to hear from Mark Lerner. When is the last time we heard from him other than some statements that he has put out? Like, what about a sit down conversation with you or with, you know, Dan Colco or Bob Carpenter or someone just to verbalize, just to let people who are Nats fans hear from you. Where do you stand? What are you thinking? Let us hear from you. You know, show some leadership. You are the leader of the team. You are the managing partner of the organization. I think fans would love to hear from Mark Lerner. And I don't think we've heard from him in way too long. And if he has designs on staying as the owner moving forward, fine. But let's hear that. I think there's way too much that's like cloaked in secrecy with this situation. And I don't think that that comes off well. I don't think that that's healthy. And, you know, fans aren't dumb. They pick up on this. They recognize this stuff. You want people to spend their hard-earned money to go watch your team and buy your tickets and buy your merchandise. You need to speak to these people and, and tell them what's going on. And I don't think there's been enough of that. No, you're 100% right. I understand owners who want to stay mostly private and not speak publicly a lot and not hold press conferences and take questions. There are some like Jerry Jones who just loves to do that, Steve Cohen of the Mets. There are others who are very much behind the scenes, don't want to do that. And I get that. That's their right as an owner. But there are certain situations that I think demand answers coming from the only people who can truly answer these things and not leaving it to the people underneath them who aren't really in a position to answer these kind of questions to do that. I'll say this, whatever the resolution with Mike Rizzo is, 
whether he's signed a new contract or whether somehow at the end of all this, he's departing. That's a time for the owner of the team to address the public, whether you're retaining him or not. And we have seen the last couple of times when they've retained him, they don't necessarily put Mark Lerner out there on the dais to give his reasons for why Mike Rizzo is returning. Well, if it happens this time, I think it would certainly be appropriate and for him to give more of a state of the franchise kind of assessment. And certainly if they do make a change at the GM spot, you 100% need something from him to explain what is the direction both in the short term and what is the direction in the long term. And I don't know if we're going to get that from him or not, regardless of what the outcome of Rizzo's situation is. Yeah, I thought Mark Lerner should have spoken on the day on which the Nats traded away Juan Soto. I thought that was the perfect opportunity for the owner to come out and say, here's what we did. Here's why we did this. We believe in the direction that Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez are taking us and, you know, onward and upward. I mean, even just like a mini pep talk to the fan base would have been nice. Instead, you didn't get anything. You know, you might talk that day and obviously Davey did because they played that day. But like, where was the owner on a day like that? That was a huge day. That was a traumatic day for a lot of Nats fans. Speak to people. Let them hear from you. You know, you don't have to talk all the time. Like you said, you don't have to be Jerry Jones, but there's a middle ground between being Jerry Jones and never talking. Like there is a happy medium in there somewhere. Well, you tell us what you think. We always enjoy hearing from you. Uh, you can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our website too, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, and we appreciate all of you who have done that. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Next up for the Nats is a three-game series against the second best team in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park, Friday through Sunday. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the one-two to Barley, swinging a high fly ball. Deep in the air left field, Cortez back at the wall, it's gone. It's Barley's second home run here in AAA. It comes in his 13th game, and it puts the Red Wings in front 3-0. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.